Um, well, it's good to be together again. Uh, it's good to look at God's word and uh, the Beatitudes, as we have said each week, this is the beginning of Jesus's larger sermon and teaching called the Sermon on the Mount, which is actually the largest uh, sermon recorded in the Bible. It's, um, again, two chapters, and the Beatitudes are these opening statements and sayings from Jesus, and they're essentially his teaching on what it means to live life in the kingdom of God, to live a good life, a truly good life. And it's a it's a countercultural life. It's a life that, culturally speaking, seems upside down. Jesus was all about taking cultural norms of the day in the first century and in 2020 today and saying, I'm going to take your version of the good life and I'm going to flip it upside down and show you what it means to truly live. And so tonight... We're going to focus on the the beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. I want to ask you this, what can you think of a time when you're really hungry? Like really hungry. When was the the hungriest you've ever been? Or the thirstiest you've ever been? Think about uh if we were on campus together, think of uh, standing in line at l- around lunchtime at Burwell, there's a huge long line, and you kind of overslept and ate breakfast in a really hurried way, but you didn't eat enough, and your class got out kind of late, and then there's there's this rush to Burwell. There's a long line. You're hungry. Okay, we've experienced this. I've certainly experienced that without the classes, but certainly the long line being hungry. You're hungry. Think of a, a, a long road trip where you forget to bring your, your Nalgene, your water bottle, and you're stuck in, um, in standstill traffic for two hours, and you have nothing to drink. You're thirsty. You're thirsty. And what you need to know and what we're going to see tonight about Jesus is that Jesus cares about our hungers. Jesus cares about our thirsts, and that's what we're going to see again, the parable Blessed are those, not the parable, the beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they'll be satisfied. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Jesus uh, being very specific about zooming in on what we desire, what we hunger, and and what we thirst for. And so I'm going to read the beatitudes. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to walk through uh, the one that we're focusing on tonight. This is God's word. He's spoken not to give us an exam to ace or rules to follow. He's spoken to us because he loves us. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you, When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
Let's pray and ask the Lord to teach us. God, thank you for not being silent. Thank you for speaking. Lord, we wake up hearing all kinds of voices from the world, from our own hearts, and we long to hear you, but we will not hear you unless uh, you allow us to receive your word with soft hearts. Lord, our hearts are restless and our minds are busy, and so, Lord, we just, we need you to speak and we need you to help us to hear and believe and obey that we might find life in Jesus. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Okay, so the, the game plan is this. Here's the two points. Present desires and promised satisfaction. Present desires and promised satisfaction. Let's do the first one together present desires. So as I've been studying this this week, I find it fascinating that in this beatitude, Jesus is appealing to the, the, the extremely visceral dynamics of hunger and thirst. Jesus is saying that, that you aren't blessed by simply agreeing that righteousness is a good idea, that it's like theologically true or ethically right to live a righteous life. That's not what he's saying. Jesus is saying you're blessed when you hunger and thirst after or for righteousness. And so it begs the question, though, because a lot of the Beatitudes contain a lot of churchy language that we have heard a lot, especially if we've grown up in the church and in the South, and we've talked about blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? We talked about that. What does it mean for our terms tonight? What does it mean to be righteous? What does righteousness mean? Well, it, there's actually several meanings in the Bible for a word like righteousness. And for our purposes in Matthew 5, righteousness actually refers to right living. Righteousness in Matthew 5, the way Jesus is saying it, is just right living. It's godliness. Righteousness is living with the grain of God's will and purposes for the world and for his people. Righteousness is holy, godly living with, with the grain of God's good creation and his creational design and will for his people and for the world. It's holiness of, of, it's the holiness of God lived out in everyday life, of, uh, in the kitchen and in the classroom and in conversations. It's the fruit of the Spirit being born out in word and deed. That's righteousness. It's down to earth. It's a life lived, animated by the Spirit of God. It's a life of love, of joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Jesus is saying, you are blessed when you hunger and thirst for this kind of life, because it's, it's the only good life. One commentator puts it this way, to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to hunger and thirst to be a doer of God's will. That's a great, that's, that's what it is. It's to hunger and thirst to be a doer of God's will. It's a helpful definition there. Now, I'm convinced that our Beatitudes tonight is actually one of the most challenging. For me personally, it is. Because it makes us take an honest look at our desires. 
When Jesus stands up and says to the crowd, you're blessed if you hunger and thirst after or for righteousness, the natural response is to ask yourself, what do I most desire? What do I want? Jesus is after our thirsts. He's not just after our cognitive life, our intellectual life. Jesus is after our hearts, our longings, our hungers, our thirsts. Jesus, I mean, it's, it's the question is not whether or not you hunger or thirst. The question is, what do you most want? That's the question. It's challenging, profoundly challenging. And if you're anything like me, I, what I most desire and long for is what I believe will truly satisfy And so I hunger and thirst and starve for security and human approval and control and immediate gratification and escapism and comfort. I am, I'm not just pursuing these things with my mind and my heart and my body because I think it's a good idea to pursue these things. I am desiring them on an, in a gut way and a gut level. I mean, this is, again, we talked about Michael Jordan last week. We're going to talk about him again tonight because of this documentary that's going on. I'm so fascinated by this. Um, I've been thinking about it so much. But look, if you know anything about Michael Jordan, you know that he played the game of basketball with hunger. People talk about him this way. It wasn't necessarily joy that characterized Jordan's game and career. It was a relentless desire to win. It was a desire and hunger to win. Jordan didn't play like someone who merely wanted to win. Jordan played as someone who was starving to win. And that's what made him so competitive and ruthless. And this is why we can't take our eyes off of this documentary now. Because he was starving to win. It's what he most wanted. And so if, if we need to know anything about Jesus, we need to know that he is not saying, this is important, I want you to, to make sure you hear this. Jesus is not saying, you're blessed when you've already arrived at a state of righteousness. Let me repeat, or I'm going to say it in a different way. He's not saying, you're blessed when you've already arrived at an at a state of perfect righteousness that's not what he is saying jesus is saying you're blessed when you desire a life that you currently do not possess that's what hunger and thirst is all about you hunger and thirst for food and for drink that you currently do not have you're in burwell wanting food because you don't have it you're on a road trip and you forgot your, like you want something to drink because you don't have it. You, if you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you're wanting it because you're not there yet. Okay? He's not saying, congratulations, you're blessed because you're perfect. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. Commentator says it this way, Jesus does not bless those conscious of their righteousness or victorious life. Rather, God's promise is given to people for whom righteousness, victory, vindication, and right conduct seem painfully missing. Painfully missing. Jesus, friends, is after us. He is not content with simply modifying our behaviors and actions. He wants our desires, our longings, our hungers, and our thirsts. 
Notice that time, time matters in this beatitude. Did you notice this? Jesus is talking about what you and I mo- like most want, like right here and now. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, like right now, presently. But then he also makes a promise about the future, and that's going to take us to point two, promised satisfaction. Promised satisfaction. Jesus is not being vague here, friends. He is not, you know, the parables and Jesus can oftentimes um, use language to intentionally disorient his hearers. He is not trying to do that right now. He is saying, these kind of blessed people, I've made a promise to them and they can take it to the bank. They will be satisfied. But two questions come to mind. The first is this, when will we be satisfied? And how will we be satisfied? When and how? Well, the Bible says when it comes to when, the timing of this, it's obviously in the future. It's a, the, the language, the verb is a, is a, is a promised future fulfillment of, of, of satisfaction. Friends, the Bible says that the people of God will be satisfied. And you can do this by seeing that the Bible is going in the direction, Revelation 22, of new heavens and new earth where God will make all, make all things new. But it is not now. It's an eternal satisfaction. That is when the full and comprehensive satisfaction of every longing, every desire will be met. That we will fully and finally taste and see firsthand that the Lord is good. We do not fully experience that, this kind of satisfaction, until Jesus comes back. That's what the Bible says. That's the when. But what what about the how? Okay, the how is this. Jesus himself with his presence brings the satisfaction. He's the host of the party. He's the host of the feast. My friend, another campus minister says it this, you're in, says it this way, you're invited to look to Jesus, the one, listen to this y'all, who turns water into the finest of wine, the one who takes a small child's meal and multiplies it to feed over 5,000 people. Jesus bears witness to God's commitment to bring his fullness to our emptiness, to satisfy our deepest longings. And we're told that when he cried out on the cross, what did he say? I thirst. He became empty for us in our place that we might become full forever. He said, I thirst, friends, so that you and me will never have to say that. It's amazing, and that's why, at the living, uh, at, at the, the with the Samaritan woman at the well, who's a prostitute in John four, he looks at her and she says, I, "I'm living water, and if you come and live with me and follow me, anyone who drinks of this kind of water, what does he say, will never thirst again." Final and full satisfaction. How he is living water. He is the bread of life. Jesus is not promising something. Uh, he's not promising just to like simply meet our needs or even to simply forgive our sins. He's promising to fulfill every single one of our desires fully, finally, and completely. All right, think about, think about the Lord's, uh, think about two things and we're gonna um, kind of start landing the plane. Think about, I feel like I'm like zooming in here. 
Um, think about the prodigal son for a second, that parable. When the younger brother goes off into the far country and he does his wild prodigal son thing and he comes home, how does the father respond to him? If you remember, he sees him off at a distance and the father runs out to him, embraces him. And then what does he do next? He throws a huge feast. And the feast is important. The feast is important because that's where you celebrate. The feast is where you celebrate every thirst, every longing that this son wanted to find away from his father and away from his home is finally and fully realized at home with his father because his father is the host. He throws the party and it is far better than anything he could experience outside of his father's house. Why is this feast in the context of the party so important for us, friends? Because it's a picture of the eternal feast that we will experience with Jesus himself. We're going to talk about the Lord's Supper for a second. Why is the Lord's Supper so important? Because, friends, the eternal home that we have in Jesus, the language the New Testament uses is that it's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. That when we come and we take bread and wine, we are are getting a smaller picture of this larger satisfaction that we will experience with no more hunger and no more thirst with Jesus at his table eternally. Meals and feasts in the Bible are trying to say something to us. It's trying to make us have this, this long view of the, our eternal home with Jesus where he will finally show us what it means to taste and see that he's good. Last two things. This is more by way of application for us to chew on as, before we go. First thing is this. Stay hungry and stay thirsty. Stay hungry and stay thirsty. Here's what I mean. I think... If you get to a place spiritually where you feel like you've arrived, you're not hungry anymore. You're not thirsty anymore. If you feel like you can look at an area of your life and say, yeah, I'm, I'm good here. I've arrived. You need to, I, put, put very bluntly, you need to check yourself with prayer, honestly. And ask for the Spirit to convict you to get you hungry again and thirsty again. Jesus is saying, you need to cultivate hunger in yourself for my Spirit to work itself out in your everyday life because you will never arrive. You will always be hungry and thirsty. Even in your union with Jesus um, and your identity being in Him, you always want to cultivate a holy discontent spiritually because we're not ever going to arrive. And that's actually a good thing because we're dependent. Beatitudes are all about dependence on Jesus, not autonomy and stiff-arming Jesus. So we need to cultivate a holy hunger and thirsting and discontent. We always have to be hungry and thirsty for him. So stay hungry and stay thirsty. Second is this. Pursue a life of godliness, this hunger and thirst, this righteous living and godliness. Do that here and now, yes, but with an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective that that a feast is on the way. 
You can't lose sight of that. Think of the song that I wish that we could sing together. We could sing over Zoom. It would be absolute chaos. We're not going to. But I wish we were in McMillan singing together. We will feast in the house of Zion. Why do we sing that all the time? There are all kinds of reasons why. One of my favorite things about that song is that it speaks to, it's a song about heaven. And it speaks to the reality that um, we will feast and we'll weep no more. He'll wipe away all tears. And we need to hear that. The second thing that's so beautiful about that hymn is that the context is a feast where every longing and desire will be fully and finally realized and met. All of our unmet expectations and longings. Think about the people that uh, where singleness is their life for all of their life, but they so desperately want to be married. They will feast in the house of Zion and have that unmet longing and desire met by Jesus. And we could, we could go on and on, but that's just one example. Fully and finally realized we'll feast with him and weep no more. So knowing the feast is on the way. Pursue godliness here and now, but we're going somewhere. Um, we're going somewhere when, where Jesus will actually fully and finally fulfill these words. And I'm going to close with this. This is some of the most beautiful language in Isaiah 55. And think about how Jesus at his table, will fulfill these words, and only he can. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money Ought for that which is not bread, and labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in the richest of food. Amen. Um,